0: Well, we are in part four of our walk down the path of understanding how we received what we call the Bible, the Word of God. For the last few weeks, we've been going over the archaeological, historical, and scriptural proofs of the validity and the reliability and the inerrancy of God's Word. Today I want to hopefully answer one more of the big questions concerning the Bible, one we hear all the time. Is it true that the only correct translation of the Bible is the King James Version? (laughs) So we're going to do some historical detective work once again into the Word of God, seeking to find an understanding of the types of languages, translations the Word has gone through, but first... I want you to watch this. It's a thick book and it says the Bible on it. Like this thick. It has a brown cover. Pictures, not just words, pictures and words. It has different, like, kind of feeling of the pages. It's a thing that about God, and it has all God's words. The Bible is the holy sword. God's word. How God talks to us. You'll hear God a lot, you'll hear Paul. The chapters are in things called books in it, even though it's one big book. There's lots and lots of books about lots and lots of different things, but they're all based on what Jesus did. It tells you how to live your life, and it's got everything in it that's true. The Bible can help you with lots going through your fears and stuff. Even if you know about God and you still want to learn a little bit more about God, you can always look in the Bible. There you go. How true is that, huh? How true, how true. If you want to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to read a couple passages here before we get into the technical part of today's discussion. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's in that part of the Bible called the Enthians. All those Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians, all those in there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as his servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said let light shine out of the darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. One of my favorite passages Paul starts out with stating that Jesus' ministry is one of mercy. Amen? If you're here, you have felt that mercy. Paul says, I recognize that I myself have received that mercy, so I renounce disgraceful and underhanded ways. And in making this statement, he is encouraging his listeners to do the same. And then he makes this bold statement. By the open statement of truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Hmm. He says, "Look at the way I live. Let others look at the way you live." And what he's holding as a mirror of life is the Word of God. He says, "You should see. You should be able to recognize me." And you should be able to recognize God in me, however I live, wherever I go, whatever I say, whatever I do. You should be able to see me as other, because us, followers of Jesus Christ, are called out, we're called out to be other, we're called out to be different, amen? Hmm. And then right there... In the middle of verse 2, he says, We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. doesn't take long for us to be around anyone that we meet to figure out if their mirror for life would be the word of God or not. True? Hmm. But there is more to that sentence as well. And it is at the heart of translation controversy on the Bible about whether or not we are practicing cunning or tampering with God's Word. Now, Webster's defines tamper as to interfere so as to weaken or change for the worse. I'm going to tell you now that the translations we're going to talk about today do not do that. They do not weaken. They do not change for the worse. Cunning is defined as trickery, subtly devising to attain an end. The Word of God actually gives us a pretty good example of tampering and cunning within the Word of God, using the Word of God. Remember when Jesus came out of the desert after he was baptized, went off for 40 days, fasted, prayed, he came back out, and Satan showed up. What did Satan do? First thing he did is he argued from Scripture to Jesus. He says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from the pinnacle there on the temple. So he's speaking truth, but now he's about to distort the meaning of the truth. He says, for it is written, he will give his angels charge concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up. Now that is a true statement, but it is out of context. Amen? Mm. My mom used to love to use biblical on me, passages on me that were out of context. Like You need to go back and read that one again. The question is, would you recognize the passage that's being quoted to you as being out of context when it's read to you? Now, Jesus answered by pointing to Deuteronomy, he said, the servant of God does not deliberately test God regarding his goodness. Here's a misuse of the word of God with example closer to home. Each one of you has probably heard this and maybe many of you even believe, but it's most often says by an unbeliever. Jesus says, you shall not judge. How many believe that? Well, I'm glad not a lot of hands went up. Because you're right if you believe it. Because he does say that. The problem is, it's taken out of context. This is what he says. This is Matthew 7, 1-5. Judge not. That's all they use. <laughs> Those who say... God says you can't judge. That's all they know of that whole passage. Judge not. But here's the rest of the story. That you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that's in your brother's eyes, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus is actually taking us, teaching us to make sure that before we judge our brother, we need to make sure we're not guilty of the same offense that we're condemning. When we go clean up our mess, then we can go back and help our brother. So how do we help a brother? Well, that requires discernment and judgment. You have to make some judgments in life. John 7, 24 says, Jesus condemns those condemning him and gives this advice. Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. Sounds to me like Jesus is saying judge once again. Again, a requirement for judgment is discernment. Hear from the heart, not from prejudice. Romans 16, 17 says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught and avoid them. Again, we're called to understand the doctrine, that is the Word of God, of the Christian faith, so we can defend it. Romans 14, 13 tells us what not to judge. It says, not to draw our own judgment on who is acceptable for salvation and who is not. Amen? Boy, how many times have we known somebody or met somebody or encountered somebody or heard about somebody who went, ooh, I bet they're not taking the trip. It's not up to us to decide who's going to get saved and who isn't, correct? That's the Lord's job. All we can do is present the gospel and be a light unto the darkness here in the Gentile world. God will choose who gets saved and who does not. We can see how easily the Word of God can be tampered with. So how do we allow that not to happen? Well, first, by actually knowing the Word of God. And you might say, and I hear this all the time, Well, there's so many options, so many Bible translations. How do I choose? Well, how'd you choose this church? You came for a visit. I'm going to tell you that's the same thing you need to do with the Bible. Pick one up, take it for a drive. Go visit it. Take it for a drive. Take it for a spin and see what happens. Let me give you a brief history here of the New Testament. You can see here that as we said last week, three main languages that the Bible was originally written in were Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. The first date given to the New Testament was 60 to 70 AD or within 30 to 60 years of Christ's ministry, death, and resurrection. The fact that the three languages are Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, when somebody claims to me that the only Bible we should read, now I I'm not trying to get down if you're a King James Bible believer. I have plenty of King James Bibles. But don't, you can't convince me that it is the only correct translation of the Word of God. Because if you want a correct translation, you need to either know Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic. and Then you can come argue with me. But if you don't, my English translation is probably just as good as yours. Now... Slide two, when we then had an official canonization or collection of the Scriptures we talked about for the last two weeks. Slide three, the first Latin Bible was transcribed from three primary languages, and this would become the only legal Bible for the next 1,300-plus years. These Bibles were only available to scholars and priests. If you weren't clergy, you couldn't own a Bible. That's right, you couldn't own one. So the only way you could find out what the Word of God was Was to go to your local Catholic church and they would tell you what the Word of God says. And what happened with that, right? They got in all kinds of trouble, right? They started saying, uh, you got to buy your way out of purgatory and you got to, if you give this much money, you're going to be saved, or if you give us your land or do whatever. It got distorted. And the people didn't have any way to know any difference because they couldn't read the Word of God themselves. So we're over 1,300 years. Slide four. In 1250, the Bible was divided into chapters, and some 300 years later, it was divided into verses. Now, I want you to understand that. Every Bible that we have today, almost every one of them, is divided into chapters, right? Pick up any of these. It's got uh, chapter 11, right? And it's got the verse numbers. Well... That's why I tell some of the new students on, who are studying the Bible, I'm like, don't get hung up on having to read the whole chapter and quote that back to me. There, there was, there's parts of the, this Word of God that are going to speak specifically to you, and you don't have to read the whole chapter or quote the whole chapter. I mean, the Word of God was written without chapters and verses. So if there's power without quoting chapter 11, verse 17, okay? That's not actually the Word of God. That just helps you to understand where the Word of God and gets you back to it. Slide number five. The first English Bible was produced by a priest by the name of John Wycliffe. Wycliffe is the translations where written and he wrote this in what is known as middle English let me ask you a question remember when the holy land was here the holy land experience did anyone ever get a chance to go over to it did you go in the bible room oh my gosh could you even read those bibles and they were in English no because they were in middle English okay they were written in a language of English that we don't use today Middle English represented the earliest known literal translations of the entire Bible into English. Relatively few people could read Latin, but many read Middle English. So Wycliffe supported this effort, but the church did not. Wycliffe believed that scriptures was the ultimate source of truth, superseding even the Aristotle system of logic, and associated the words of Scripture with divine words of Christ. He believed that preaching the gospel was vastly more important than performing sacraments. Well, we can imagine what the Catholic Church thought of that, right? They didn't like it at all, of course, so they wanted to kill him. Slide six. The Queen Mother kept him from being excommunicated and actually killed. (laughs) Now, this is vengeful. But you know what the Catholic Church did after he died? May 4th, 1415, the Council of Constance posthumously declared Wycliffe a heretic. They dug up his remains, burned them, and then cast them into the river. I mean, that's some vengeful people right there, folks. he would done be dead. And they already dug him up, crushed his bones, burned him and threw him in the river. Slide seven. It was about 1500 that Martin Luther made the first translation. So we're getting into some new Translations that are getting closer to what we want. Anybody know what language Martin came from or to? Martin Luther. That's right. He translated from Latin to German. Okay. So there you go. So now you have Aramaic, you have Hebrew, Greek, Latin, and German. Okay. Those are the five first languages of the Bible. Anybody know any of those languages? can read them well? No? Okay, once again, I'm just saying, don't just throw out the baby with the bathwater because the translation you're using isn't the same as everyone's else. Now, at the time, the first non-handwritten Bible was produced, and it was Latin, and it was called the Gutenberg Bible, slide 8, I believe there's still four original copies in existence. That was one of the first ones right there. As you see, it's in columns. Uh, It doesn't have chapters or verse numbers, I don't think, at that one. But here's things when things get interesting. Uh, Slide nine. In 1536, Tyndale translated German into English. This was huge. It greatly upset the Catholic Church again, because now Bibles could be printed using a printing press and anybody could get their hands on sacred scripture. Boy, the church didn't like that at all. Who would have thought that the, that the one group of individuals that fought against putting Bibles in people's hands was the church? How crazy is that? That's nuts. Today, it's just the opposite, isn't it? We try to do everything we can to get a Bible in everybody's hands. Hmm. Well... For his efforts, Minister Tyndale was arrested, jailed for a year, convicted of heresy. This is because he printed the Bible in English now, okay? Then he was executed by strangulation, after which his body was burnt at the stake for just translating the Bible into English. I want you to think about that a little bit because that little book that's in your hand might become a whole lot valuable to you today. Understand what it took for us to get it. There's so many of these priests stepped out and gave their lives so common man could read the Word of God. From the years 2000 to 2022, there's been 536 missionaries who are working on the Word of God to others. How little consequence would give the book? Many Christians didn't want to give up their Bibles and they fled England into switzerland and that's how we got the bible over here slide 10 there the geneva bible was published in 1560 and it's the bible that the pilgrims brought to this country it was the dominant bible in the english-speaking world for over a hundred years this is a reprint geneva bible and if you want to see what that bible was it's really this is the pilgrim's bible get you a Geneva Bible, and you're more than welcome to come up and look at these. And you can read it. It's in Old English, not Middle English, so it's readable. But you can get a real good idea, and you can see if it really does read different than any other Bible. In the early 1600s, slide 11, King James Version was published, and it took over as the most popular English translation for the next 300 years. The first Bible in America that was printed... In a translation other than English was in 1663 and it was printed for the Massachusetts Indian language by John Eliot. Robert Atkin of Philadelphia printed the first English Bible in America in 1782 with the approval of Congress. 1782 that sound familiar to anybody? Should, that was the last two years of the American war for independence from England And uh, that's when our new Congress said, yes, we're going to give you permission to start printing Bibles in America. You know, that was one of the reasons why they started printing Bibles in America, because the original King James Version Bibles, if you can ever get one, you'll find that it had like these chapters that told all about um, living under a kingdom, about King James, about how we were supposed to deal with uh, those who were in authority uh, as far as I'm trying to think of the word here, it's not a, it's not a, a aristocrat. How do you say it? Yeah, anyway, those guys, royalty. All right, and they got, of course, we just fought an independence war against them, so they're like, I don't want that in my Bible. That doesn't belong in the Bible. So they started printing other Bibles without the stuff about the king. Slide 12 American Standard Bible was in 1901 was widely accepted and embraced by churches throughout America for many decades as the leading modern English version of the Bible, the ASV. In 71, it was again revised and called the New American Standard Version Bible. This is when we began to see things like the uh, NIV. Slide 13. So what we have here, these are Bible translations by popularity. So if you see the first one, this was in 2022, was the NIV. In 2021, it was also number one. The ESV, which is what I preach out of, is number two. It was number four the previous year. Then there was a new living translation, Christian Standard Bible, King James. King James dropped from number two down to five. Then the new King James Version was number six, the Serena Valera. Anybody know what that is? Spanish Bible. Okay, And then the New International Reader's Version. Those were the most popular translations that were sold in 2022. So, slide 14. So how do I know which Bible I need to go get? What translation should I go get? Well, modern English translations of the Bible follow one of three philosophies of translation. They are essentially literal... Also known as word for word, dynamic equivalence, easier known as thought for thought, and a paraphrase, expressing the meaning of the passage using different words to achieve greater clarity. Slide 15 word for word. An essentially literal translation strives to render the original Hebrew and Greek words with their English counterparts while adapting. The original grammar to English grammar. In other words, a word-for-word translation will take the Greek or Hebrew word, try to find the corresponding English word, but they will also try to make sure if if it's a noun in Hebrew, that it's a noun in English, okay? Literal translations make the original language more transparent, but can sound awkward. I'm going to show you some examples in a minute to the modern ear and therefore require more clarification and explanation. Literal translations can also fall into two categories. So in the word-for-word, word, there's two subcategories. Let's look at those. Slide 16, very literal and formal. Very literal, you'll probably never buy one of these Bibles unless you're in the ministry or getting a degree because they're difficult to read. Okay, they're just, they just don't read easy. Okay? And then there's the formal equivalents, or mostly literal, which are most of what we use today, like the ESV. Slide 17. I'm going to use three different translations, okay, so you can get an idea of what these look like. And it's uh, all the same passage we're very used to seeing John in, John in the book of John, the third chapter. This is a very literal translation it's called young's literal translation for god did so love the world that his son the only begotten he gave that everyone who is believing in him may not perish but may have life age during okay now let's read that same thing in the king james new king james For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do we see any real change there? Do you still understand the meaning of that passage? Okay. This is what most of you experienced with or without. That's the dynamic equivalence, which is thought for thought. That's your NIV and some of the others. And this is what it says. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Okay. Did all three of those tell you the same message? Yeah. Now, if for some reason you need to go back and do a word search or dig or something, then you need to go back to an essentially literal word for word translation. That's why they have like Young's. But it's a whole lot easier to read and explain to somebody else in your modern English if you say, God loved the world so much he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Amen? But if you went up to somebody and said, for God did love the world, he gave that everyone who is believing in him may not perish but have, might have life age during. Right? But yet that's what it means. Okay, so that's what the translators did. Slide 18. Dynamic equivalence is a method of Bible translation that seeks to (laughs) reproduce the original text of Scripture using modern language and expression to communicate the message of the Bible. It is less concerned with providing exact English word for word as it is with communicating the basic message of the verse. Many of you may have heard that Pastor Neal's first Bible was the New Living Translation. But what did he preach out of? King James. He was a King James Bible believer, loved it. That's how he learned his scripture, loved the poetry of the, what, the way it sounded. But he came to the Lord using a dynamic equivalent or thought-for-thought thought Bible, which was the New Living Translation. As for me, my first Bible I read cover to cover was the New English Bible. There's this rascal right here. Well, I liked it was all the verse numbers were on the outside. So as I read it, I didn't have to try to figure out, you know, if I was supposed to keep reading or not. I just read because it read like somebody wrote me a letter. And as you can see, all these little yellow things, every time I had a question or a thought, I'd just put one in it. By the way, it took me five years to read the Bible the first time. Because every time I felt like falling asleep, I would stop. Now... Other versions we use, of course. is a new international version. That's what I preached out of for years. That's what I memorized scripture out of. I now use the English Standard Version because it's a little more word for word. And I think as I matured, I wanted the congregation to mature as well. The study Bibles I use the most are King James, English Standard, or ESV. But I also have an Amplified Bible, which I have right there. An NASB and the Geneva Bible. Uh, Not to mention a plethora of commentaries. Actually, my translation Bible walk is a good representation of a follower who is maturing in Christ. First, I do English Bible, okay? Then I went to a NIV. Then I went to an HCSB. And then to an ESB, okay? Or ESV. A little more technical each Bible. My point is don't get caught up in translation types. As you read and grow, you'll find yourself... If you have questions that require more thought or study, you're going to be led to a study Bible or a Bible commentary. Think of starting to read the Bible like when you began to read as a child. Your books were see, spot, run. Then it was see how spot uses his legs to run. Then pretty soon you needed to find a book that told you about legs and why legs were used, amen? That's the same way these translations are. Slide 19, paraphrases. They express the meaning of the passage using different words to achieve greater clarity. A paraphrase will often take multiple verses and translate them as a thought in today's vernacular rather than verse for verse. Look at this same passage we had just been reading, but they're going to take verses 16 through 18 instead of just one verse. This is how much God loved the world. He gave His Son, His one and only Son, and this is why, so that no one need be destroyed by believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust in him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind son of God who introduced to him. Amen. Amen. Let's look at this chart here quickly as we get ready to close. Slide 20. So, which Bible type do I use? If you look at the top, see it says word for word, thought for thought, and paraphrase. Those initials are all the different Bibles. These are the ones we commonly use. The CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Okay? It's right in there between word for word and thought for thought. And if you look to the left, you see it says Christian Standard Bible 7. That means that's at a 7th grade reading level, okay? The English Standard Version is at 9.5, okay? So that means it's basically a high school reading level, okay? The International Children's Bible, the one that's Ryan's favorite, 3, right? Third grade, you know? That's why we love Ryan, okay? The King James Version, all right, to read and understand the King James Version, you have to be basically out of high school, okay, first year of college, because you have to be able to understand the Old English and then transcribe that in your mind to today's English. So it's harder to read. And then the NASB, we have the NIV, about eighth grade, New King James, ninth grade, New Living Translation. Like I said, that's what a lot of people start with, sixth grade level, because it's easier to read now we have Bibles translated into hundreds of languages the Spanish Bible, French Bible, German, Ukrainian no matter what language the word of God will open up people's lives so let's remember it's not the translation type that you read as much as the fact that you're allowing the spirit of God to guide you to have a yeah there you go Let me give you this piece of advice. When you go to the book, don't plan on spending time with the book. Plan on spending time with a person. Okay? If you meet somebody and you want to get to know them, you have to build a relationship. Relationships require work. Okay? And relationships require communication. You got to go and you got to see this person, understand this person, spend time with this person, and communicate with this person. This person just happens to be between two leather covers. Amen? Amen? Don't go through the motions as a duty. Go expecting to speak to God and have God speak to you. Now, just remember this. You have all these translations you can use. And if you ever have an issue, there's always somebody else that can guide you to a commentary or to some point to say, does this what this really means? Okay? Probably the best one I know online. It's called the Blue Letter Bible. And I'm going to tell you, you can take any of the things I just saw, and you can break it down and find out literally what the Greek or Hebrew word is, and it will tell you everywhere it's used in the Bible. It will even tell you how it's pronounced, okay? So go and use that. Now, as the band comes up, I'm going to show you one more video because we take this Bible for granted, okay? But I want to show you this. What happens in a country where Bibles are illegal. Well, your children's church director, when she was 18, as I told you before, went to China with a group from Global Youth Ministries. And they don't tell you that when they ask you if they can take your daughter, your 18-year-old daughter, to China. They don't tell you the rest of the story until just before she gets ready to leave. Then they go, oh, by the way, we need her to take some Bibles in with her, which happens to be very illegal in China. But you know what? Each child did. Each child took six Bibles. And when they would go somewhere and they were teaching um, English to students in uh, like um, orphanages and other things such as that. And when they would find a receptive teacher that wanted to hear the word of God, they would bless her with one of these Bibles. Because the majority of Christians in China don't have a complete Bible. They might have a New Testament. They might have just one chapter out of one book of a Bible. But to them, you couldn't have given them a better gift. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much. Lord, it's a lot of technical information that we went through over the last few weeks, Lord. But, Lord, we're just hoping that you'll put it in our heart to make us realize just how precious the Word of God is. So that we do not take it for granted, Lord. But that we react to it just like those people we saw in this video. When someone gives you a Bible, it just brings tears to your eyes. And you recognize the power and the hope that it represents. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now before the band starts to play, you guys can come up and take a look at these Bibles. We have uh, everything from the Geneva Bible. This is a Bible from 1892. It's the All of It series. Here is... This is really old. It, it, this is actually uh, the Gospel of Matthew, but it's uh, in large print, <laughs> very large print. Uh, we have an Amplified Bible, uh, Study Bibles, uh, Commentary Bibles. It has four different types of Bibles within it, translations. We have a, one of the earliest picture Bibles that they ever made. Uh, we even have uh, the Jewish Mishal Bible, um, NIV, CSBs, New King James, uh, just a whole plethora of them up here. So feel free to come up and take a look of them after service. Amen.